Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. You know the deal. Stand up and give God a 10-second praise break. Jesus is way better than me. Come on. You make it louder than you made it for me. He is king. He is Lord. He is king. He is Lord. He is king. He is Lord. Praise him. Come on. Have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. If you're new with us this morning, it's so good to have you. I see some fresh faces. Briefly, I want to say just welcome to First Fruit Sunday. Oh man, I, uh, if you don't know, if you're new with us, I just want to tell you First Fruits is not for you. <laughs> if you're new with us, please. Um, I hope you see our heart in this, but I don't ask that you participate in this. If you want to call Takeover Home, if this is where you want to begin to plant yourself in the house of the Lord, welcome. We love you, absolutely. But today, feel no obligation to give unto this because for us, it's our heart as Takeover Church that we wouldn't be like so much of the rest of the world where we give God our leftovers at the end of the year, where we give God what maybe we didn't spend at Christmas, where we give God, you know, that kind of, I need a tax break so I give the church thing. We're not interested in that. We're interested in holiness. We're interested in giving him our first. We're interested in not just giving God, hey, we didn't spend this, so here you go, king. No, he is worthy of our first, amen? So that's why we take the whole first month of the year. We fast 31 days, not that 21 days. You know what I'm saying? We go 31. We give him the whole month. We set apart every Wednesday to pursue his glory and worship. And we fast and we get with him. We got prayer points every day. And it's all leading up to this moment today. And then obviously Wednesday we will have our glory night number five followed by a sweet social to break the fast together. So I'm talking, you know what I'm saying? Someone's like, praise God. <laughs> but we're going to have a s'more bar and all sorts of stuff. So come hang out in the presence and uh, in the sweetness of God's people and mercy. Amen? Amen. So honor around your seat real quick, and then we're going to get into the Word of God. This is our card. This is our envelope. Come lock stock with a pen. It's going to be awesome. Right here on the little grade thing, we want you to write your name. Because we want to be able to know. We want to be able to pray with you, stand with you. Underneath this, this is what you are going to write down as a prayer. And you are going to ask God, God, this is what I want to see. I want to see it in this church. I want to see it in my region. I want to see it in my family, God. This is what I'm giving to. I am giving because you're king, because you're Lord. And I want to sacrificially give to set up your house, Lord. Not Matt's house. Not Pastor Adrian's house. No one else's house, but your house. And I want to see prodigals come home. I want to see, I want to see the the spirit of homosexuality broken off this region. God, I want to see worship break loose like never before. I want to see you rule and reign in a way that is so unexplainable in West Michigan that it has to be God. I want you to write that down. And then obviously, QR code, all the ways online to give, or you can place cash or check in the envelope, seal the deal. And I want you to walk up. If you're married, I want you to come with your spouse. If you have kids, I want you to come with your kids. Kids will be dismissed uh, into the last song of worship. And so I want you to come as a family. I want you to come, if you're single in here, and maybe you got a couple friends, come as friends. Like, let's do this together, collectively, in community, at the end of service, during the last song. And let's give unto our God his first fruits in response response to the fact that our God, he didn't give us his second best. He sowed into us his first fruits and his name is Jesus. Amen. 
That was way more universally true than the response that we just got. Friends, God gave you his first seed. His name is Jesus. Can you praise him? Make some noise. It's the greatest thing in all of history. Amen? Come on. Oh my gosh. Who is ready for the word of God? Who's got their B-I-B-L-E, the book for me? Will you wave it in the air like you just do care? Will you wave it at me? Come on. Oh, man. This morning, if you're taking notes because you're a Christian, the title of my sermon this morning is The Josiah Pursuit. The Josiah Pursuit. The Josiah Pursuit. And if you're looking for scripture, let's go, baby. Oh, this morning, we'll be coming out of 2 Kings, 2 Kings 23, 25 specifically, but I want to tell you this, just so I got the numbers right real quick. You can read the full story of this that I'll be coming out of today, but I want you to be able to follow along if you'd like, 2 Kings 23 and 2 Chronicles 34, but my primary scripture is 2 Kings 23 and uh, 2 Kings 23, 25. So if you got your scripture, let's go. If you don't, it'll be up on the Sky Bible or there are amazing little blue ESVs. You can steal one of those. It's free. It's from us. God bless you. You need to have a Bible. Too many Christians today walking around without a sword. I don't get it. 2 Corinthians 23, 25. Y'all ready? Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all the the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Before him. There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Lord to crack that open on us. Amen. Let's do it. Father, I love you. Father, I ask today, I ask right now, Father, would you come? Would you begin to do something in or miss God? I mean it, Lord. I want unexplainable things, Lord. I want the things that I have seen you do in other parts of our world today, God. Not even just yesteryear, not even 50 years ago, not the Hebrides, not even the things that are historically taking place in this nation, the first or second great awakening. Go, God, I am asking right now. I'm asking for the type of presence that falls in the tunnels in China as the Chinese persecuted church worships you, God. I'm asking for the type of glory that comes, like Pastor Adrian talked about last week, in Cuba, where they have to make handwritten copies of the scriptures, God, to give to you, Lord. I want the type of glory to fall in this room, God, that we're seeing in South America, that we're seeing in Africa, that we're seeing in the mountains in Dagestan right now, God. I want to see you move in ways, Lord. That you're already moving in Reading, that you're already moving in Dallas, that you're already moving in pockets across our nation. Lord, I love you. And Father, we today, we say with all of this, God, we, we are giving our lives for what you gave your life for. 
is that you would have a people so consumed by you, Lord, that they are absolutely set ablaze for your glory. And that, God, when they come together, Lord, it wouldn't be for any other program or any other man, God. It would be unto your pursuit of a house of prayer. So, God, I ask right now, make us a dwelling place. Make this house a dwelling place and make me a dwelling place. God, we want to be a place for you to come and rest and dwell among your people. So, Father, I ask... I ask for a great unleashing of the Holy Spirit. A great unleashing of the Holy Spirit. That right now, if there's any other contrarian, divisive spirit in this room, religious spirit, depression spirit, suicidal spirit, demonic spirit, any other spirit other than the one with the name, singular name, Holy Spirit. We say you can go to hell from which you came so that in this space and in this place, only the Holy Spirit can reign. If you agree, say Jesus' name and amen. Come on. Oh, man, the time for games, man, it's, we never had time for games, but it's certainly over, amen? We just don't have time. We just don't have time. He is worthy of a good and proper response to his glory, amen? Oh, all right, the Josiah pursuit, the Josiah pursuit, the Josiah pursuit. This scripture has been burning in me for the last probably six months since God began to speak to me the prophetic vision for 2024 of becoming a house of prayer. Ever since he put this in me and Jesus, he made it clear what he wanted out of his Christians last year, right? We talked about Luke 12, 49, 50, right? Or yeah, 49 through 50. He what? He came to what? Set his people ablaze to baptize them in fire should they be kindled and ready to receive him. And then in Matthew 21, 13, he's made it plain. No, 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 my house will be what? A house of prayer. And so here we are, and it is my chief concern with my life. I appreciate everything my wonderful wife said about me, but know this. It's not about me, it's about him. And we don't push you to burn for his glory because Matt wants to see you set ablaze. We push you to burn for his glory because Jesus is owed you being set ablaze. We don't push you to pray and be intimate with him because I think some psychological idea it's going to make you feel zen with yourself. We push you to pray and be intimate with the Father because this is Jesus' beating and bleeding heart for his people and his church. And it's high time that he received what he poured out his blood and what he broke his body to build in the earth a resting place for him again. Amen? And so this, this has been burning in me because, man, I got to tell you, we, we are in a unique time, friends. We are in a unique time. I keep saying it week in and week out, but if you need any kind of, uh, you know, red alarm going off, Turn on the news, <laughs> like go to work, drive down Wealthy Street. Like you will find yourself realizing, okay, we need prophets again in this age, sounding the alarm. Sounding the alarm. What is the alarm? The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. And listen, I'm not the, you know, the whack, crazy dispensationalist. He's like, he's coming tomorrow. Like, I'm not that guy. What I'm saying is, though, I appreciate so much what one of our amazing prophets of the house, Angie, said during our communion. 
they appreciated, the early church appreciated so much more. Some hundred, like 2,000 to 1,500 years ago, the early church sat around and they still contemplated every action, every church service, every gathering, every pursuit was made with the urgency of understanding we are closer to his coming than we've ever been. And so we will do the same. I'm not sounding the alarm saying tomorrow's the day. What I'm saying is we are closer than we've ever been. And I am telling you the church is probably the smallest she's ever been. But what I believe is this. She is potentially the most powerful she's ever been. And we're going to give our lives to join in with that choir. To join in with that prayer. To join in where Jesus isn't just this thing that we do. He is our very being, our very reasoning. Friends, I want to tell you, you are going to be unreasonable. But unreasonable times requires unreasonable men. Unreasonable times requires unreasonable women. Unreasonable times demands that there be unreasonable people rising up in the church and willing to be unreasonable for Jesus. And so we live in a time and a place where there is a unique opportunity to not bend the knee to culture or to join in with so many of our brothers and sisters who have gone the ways of attractional church, attractional Christianity, attractional this, attractional that. And it's like, can I tell you today, the most attractional thing in the kingdom of heaven, the most attractional thing in the end time earth, the most attractional thing in all of scripture, it's not our programs, it's not our LED walls, it's not our seeker-friendly mentalities or our heresy that we love to commit. The most attractional thing in all of history is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And friends, if we're committed to this Jesus, if we're committed to scripture, if we're committed to a spirit right now, friends, you and I, we have an opportunity to go with God to places very few sons and daughters in this age are committed to going with him. And it's actually living in active community and fellowship with our God. <laughs> we talked about a number of weeks ago, but man, how many of us how many of us and how many Christians do we know who roll up to church and they expect to meet and experience anything and everything and everyone else but God himself? I say no more. I say no more. I say no more. And the reason I say no more is because, friends, I've never read that in Scripture. I've never read that in the early church history. I've never read where people were like, I guess I'll go to this thing that got good music. No, they got Jesus. They got Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't do things, you know. I hate this word, by the way. It's so prevalent in the church today, and it makes me want to throw up. But I'm not saying that we don't do things with excellence. Just excellence isn't the most important thing. Amen. He is. Jesus is. And he's worthy of a good offering, yes. But excellence in our pursuit is trumped by earnesty. Excellence in our pursuit is trumped by earnesty. Excellence in our pursuit is trumped by earnesty. Because here's the deal. 
We're not going back to a different time. 2024 is gonna be a crazy year. It's gonna be insane. And we've got brothers and sisters right now who are building golden calves. And I don't wanna be Aaron, I wanna be Moses. Amen? And in fact, I'll take it a stretch further. I don't want to be Aaron. I'm grateful for the Moses season. But right now is the time for Joshua's to rise up in the land who are fit and who are able to take us into all that God has promised his people. Amen? We will not build golden political calves. We will vote to make sure that babies are not being murdered and that kids are not cutting off their body parts. Amen? Let's just clarify that right now. But in our doing and in our voting, in our pursuing, we will not build idols. We have but one God. So what does this have to do with Josiah? Everything. Man, Josiah, this Josiah pursuit has been boiling in me. It's like God touched me like Isaiah with a hot coal, man. And it's been sitting in my heart just simmering into this moment. And I didn't plan this. I didn't have this idea of like first fruit Sunday, we're going to talk about Josiah. Like he and I don't work like that. He gives me things, it sits in me, and then he decides which week he's going to let that coal come. He decides what week he's going to pick that hotbed out, and he goes, this is what I have. We don't, I don't sit here and build a board up going, this is what we're going to do. No, he gave me a prophetic word that this church is going to be a house of prayer in 2024, and week in and week out, we're just faithful to seek his face and hear his voice and what that means for us weekly. Amen? And so, man, this has been sitting in me. When he said, Matt, Sunday's the day, I was like, you're joking. <laughs> this is amazing because Josiah is absolutely incredible. I mean, this is God's words. Hear me. This is God's words. This is not some uh, scholar's word, although I love scholars. I would consider myself kind of one. I love theologians. I would consider myself kind of one. I love church history. I would consider myself a part of church history. But this statement that we just read in Scripture is not based off polling. It's not based off a common census. This isn't everyone got a say in the whole thing and we just decided, you know what? Josiah is the best. No, no, no. God in his divine kingdom nature outside of time, glorious, holy, above everything and pure. He said there was none before Josiah, which is interesting. Because he is the 17th king of Israel, and he is 15 after David. There was no king before him, and there is no king after him. Because Josiah sought me with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, with all the law of Moses. He sought me. See, what's interesting is we have this Jesus, and he's, he's literally, he has a tattoo when he's coming back, friends. He's probably getting it going right now. He's stoked. He's got this tattoo on his side of his thigh, and he's going, I am king of kings and lord of lords. King of kings and lord of lords. And so that means, friends, if Jesus is emphatically king of kings and definitely numero uno, number one, king of kings, lord of lords, that's what it means, best of the best. That means Josiah, in God's eyes, he's number two. He's number two. He's number two. 
So what is it about Josiah? What is it about his life? What is it about his pursuit? What is it about his heart? What is it about Josiah that God on his throne, you want to talk about what your uh, tombstone is going to say when you die? God wrote on his, there was none like him and none after him by being a king of man. No one else compares. No one else. Again, that's not my opinion. That's not common consensus. That's God's opinion. Do you know what that tells me, friends? That tells me that for you and I, there's actually a way that you and I can live where our name, where our name, where our name as individuals, as sons, as daughters, and where our church, as a collective, as a family, as his bride, there is a way, friends, Beloved, hear me, there is a way where we can gain such a reputation in the heavenlies that God can potentially look at you and I and outside of Jesus, he can say there is no other son like him. There's no other daughter like her. There is no other church like takeover. There is no other marriage. There is no other single season. There's no other son. There's no other artist. There's no other doctor. There's no other whatever you may be. There's the ability to actually live in a way that God can look upon you and he can say, there was none before him. There was none before her. There will be none after them that is like them. Pastor Matt, that's absurd. It is, but it's God. <laughs> Pastor Matt, I don't think that's possible. It's in his word. <laughs> like that means for you and I, there is an actual invitation to live in such a way. And friends, let me tell you, it's not going to come by riches and it's not going to come by fame. It's not going to come by poverty. It's not going to come by likes. It's not going to come by followers. It's not going to come by status or in status. There's a way in which you and I can live that we can gain such a reputation in heaven that whether it's while we're living or after we've long passed or when we meet Jesus in the sky, there's a way to have a reputation in the heavenlies that will echo in the earth. But it's the kind of reputation, it's the kind of name, it's the kind of place and position that only comes from God himself. I find it interesting that we live in a time and place, and I feel like, not anybody in this room, of course, but I feel like Christians live pretty aimless lives. Like, we don't go from glory to glory. We actually live happenstance to happenstance. <laughs> we, some of us, we live sin to sin. Some of us, we live lie to lie. Some of us, we, we live by mercy of God, by mercy of God. Like some of us, that's how we are living our lives. And to me, when we look at scripture, the very thing that I see, the only aimless people are the ones who once were lost, but then they become found. And it's upon being found that they gain an aim. It's upon being found that they gain an aim. It's upon being found that they gain an aim. And I am telling you, there is this aim that God is beckoning in the earth in this hour. And I believe it's for you. I believe it's for me. And I believe it's for this church in its entirety. And it is the Josiah pursuit. It's the Josiah pursuit. Because here, let me tell you. Josiah 
It says, in the beginning, again, I gave you the scripture references. Feel free to read along with me in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. Feel free. Josiah's beginning is this. It says that when Josiah was eight years old, he began to seek God. Seek God in the ways of his father, David. Pause. Break that down for you. Seek God. Eight years old. Eight years old. When you're giving today, and this isn't all about giving. This is about our pursuit and our heart. But let me tell you this. When you give today, what is the aim of our pastoral and leadership staff? It's that we would raise up eight-year-olds in those back rooms whose relationship and depths with God would rival their parents. You want to talk about hotbeds? You want to talk about coals? Let's get a fire going in those rooms that cause you as a parent to have to stay even hotter than your kids so you can simply lead them. I appreciate anybody this morning. Josiah was eight years old, friends, where he began to seek God. Eight years old. What is it about an eight-year-old that begins to seek God that is able to turn him into a king where there was none before him, including David, and there will be none after him. It's the fact that when he was eight years old, he got caught up in the true vision of Yahweh. When he was eight years old, he got caught up in the true vision of Yahweh. When he was eight years old, he must have heard a word. He must have caught news. Because let me tell you, player, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible. And I'm going to break that down for you in a minute, too. It's actually incredible. But he didn't have the word of God. He didn't come up in a great lineage. He didn't come up in a family that was amazing West Michigan Christian where he didn't cuss and he didn't sin. He didn't run with girls that did. You know what I mean? Like, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't run with girls that do. That was what I was told, but family did the opposite. But that was the reality. He didn't grow up in this, and I'll tell you in a moment how that all breaks down, but Josiah was not raised in a Christian environment, going to temple, and in fact, this is a time of Israel's greatest decline. This all takes place in a time of Israel's greatest decline. Can I tell you, friends, that in times of great decline, the church must have a greater incline? In times of great decline, the Christian, the son, the daughter must have a greater incline. Incline to what, Pastor Matt? God. See, little eight-year-old Josiah, this is what happens when you catch a true vision of who our God is. This is what happens when you begin to burn. He knew he was going to be king. He knew what he was going to be raised in. But let me tell you, in that time of decline, he wasn't raised in a God-fearing kingdom any longer. Israel has given themselves over to every lust of the flesh, every demonic principality. They got idols for everybody but Jesus. Like Israel was basically, in all intents and purposes, Divorced from God by every action, by every temple, by everything they raised up against him. Time of decline. There wasn't a proper Jewish Israel church service for 400 years by the time Josiah comes on the scene. So what is it that happens to an eight-year-old in times of decline? He caught a true vision of Jesus. He caught a true vision of Yahweh. He caught a true vision for who our God is. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. 
so you can know that when you sow into this place, what is our idea? What is our point? What are we trying to do? Are we raising great business leaders back there? Potentially, but that's going to be a mere side effect of the fact that we want them to catch a true vision of Jesus. Are we raising great sons and daughters back there? Potentially, I hope so, because I do believe that's a ramification of what happens when you catch a true vision of the greatest son. Amen? Are we raising great husbands and great wives? Well, it's my hope that this would be a side effect of them catching a true vision of Jesus back there. Because as Paul puts it in Ephesians 5, right? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. So it would be our hope that as they catch a true vision of whom Jesus is, yes, they would grow up to be amazing citizens of the world, but it's my hope that this citizenship that eclipses their citizenship in America would be their citizenship of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. That's what we're committed to. Man, I'm going to give my life to see those kids surpass me. I'm going to give my life to see you surpass me. I'm going to give my life, we're going to build this church, and we're going to give God a dwelling place, a resting place in Grand Rapids where we can look into the God of generations and see that he still cares about generations. You see, every generation was called to build upon the last. Look throughout scripture. That was the idea. The caveat being, right, the caveat being that the previous generation built in a manner of which that was worthy to be built upon worthy to be added to because unfortunately generational will either be generational blessings or it'll be generational curses depending upon how you and I choose to build this church and how you and I choose to build our lives I'm appreciating anybody this morning this is the reality this is the reality of what Josiah was coming up in I gotta tell you friends times of great decline require a greater incline see Josiah he is eight years old he catches a true vision of, of Yahweh in this amazing moment let me tell you, that next statement where he says he sought God at eight years old in 2 Kings 32, <laughs> literally followed by <coughs> the God of his father, David. David wasn't his daddy. <laughs> David has a kid, Absalom. He sucks. Not Josiah. So what does Josiah mean? Well, let me tell you, Josiah's dad... He absolutely sucks. He was such a terrible king that in his sleep, kids you not player, he was literally assassinated by his servants. Yep, not a great king. His granddaddy before him, Manasseh, was literally the worst recorded king in all of Israel and Judah history. Everyone will tell you, any Jewish scholar, Israel scholar, biblical scholar, theologian, whatever, they will tell you the greatest times of decline in Israel history is because of Manasseh. Why? Because Manasseh and his son, starts with a B, I can't remember how to say his name, starts with a B, which is Josiah's dad, they were literally the absolute worst kings Israel has ever seen and what they did in Israel and what they allowed to happen in Israel is what led to the times of the greatest decline in all of its history and so all of a sudden though Josiah catches a true vision of Yahweh but it says it's the Yahweh of David that he called upon the name of the God of David make that make sense pastor Matt let me tell you 
He caught such a true vision of who Yahweh was that he looked at his landscape and he was like, I don't have a prophetic lineage. I have a pathetic lineage. This won't do. Anybody with me? Because I got that. I don't have a prophetic lineage like my beautiful wife does with my amazing in-laws back there. How you doing? I don't. I come from a pathetic lineage like Josiah. But what does Josiah decide to do? He doesn't ask God for permission. He doesn't barter with God. He doesn't even have the word of God to go after to understand if this is even legal in the kingdom of God. What he decides to do in his heart is say, no, I have a pathetic lineage. I want a prophetic lineage. So I am going to sow myself into, graft myself in, reach into spiritual prophetic lineage. And I declare before God and my kingdom, my God is the God of my father, David. What if I told you today, it's the same invitation for you and I. What if I told you today, what you were handed doesn't have to hinder you. What if I told you what you were handed doesn't have to hinder you. What if I told you that what you came up in doesn't have to be what you passed down. What if I told you that? What if it was good? Doesn't matter, God's even better. My in-laws are amazing. For Adrienne and I, we plan on passing down even better. Her brother-in-law, I hope, plans on passing down, or her brother, my brother-in-law, her brother, plans on passing down even better. Why? Because we're called to build generation to generation, build generation to generation. What does that mean? You're literally adding to, it gets bigger, it gets better, it gets deeper, it gets wider, it gets more robust. Every generation, that's how it's supposed to be. We go from glory to glory, hope to hope, strength to strength. I've appreciated anybody this morning. And so he doesn't, he doesn't allow Manasseh and his terrible lineage to define him. No, instead what he decides to do is he reaches into spiritual prophetic history. He catches a true vision of Yahweh and he goes, no. All of the idols my father has constructed, all of the heresy, all of the sin, all of the debauchery that my grandfather Manasseh instituted and allowed in God's holy land, this will not be my story. It will not be my story. And so he decides, man, I'm going to call on the God of David. Friends, what if I invited you today? What if you heard the sovereign voice of the Lord in this room this morning and you realize you can call upon the God of great men and great women of faith? What if that's what you could be married to? What if the part of your disbelief is actually on the other side that you are simply being married to Oh, I know this is for somebody. You've simply allowed yourself to be married to and resigned to all that you saw about God, all that you felt about God, and all that you came up with God in your childhood and in the environment you were birthed into. And what if I told you on the other side of all of that is a true God, is the true Jesus, is the true Holy Spirit, is the true word, and you can dip into him and graft yourself and sow yourself into that God but you've got to call upon the God of David. Listen, right now, we have a whole church in the West, and we are spent spending time calling on the God of, insert, some notable famous pastor who has got a reputation in this age but carries no weight in the age to come. We've built... Big Eva on the backside of some backsliders and we have said this is good enough because people are coming to church. But they're actually not being the church. 
And they're actually not married to the bridegroom of the church. How do I know? Probably because cities and landscapes and countries and nations would actually be taken for the glory of God if every mega church was filled with and every house church was filled with and everybody who's either distorted or hurt actually had a proper, good, deep relationship with their father in intimacy and in glory. If they caught a true vision of Yahweh, they wouldn't go, I'm calling on the God of Matt McClure. Listen, friends. I think that I have a really great relationship with him. And I give myself to go as deep with him daily as feebly possible at this moment. But I want you to call on even greater. I don't want you to be in your prayer closet, in your secret place, on your way to work, going through divorce, whatever your situation looks like at the time. I don't want you to call upon the God of Pastor Matt when things are going to hell in your home. I want you to call upon the God of Jacob, of Isaac, of David, of Jesus, of Paul, come on somebody, of Catherine Coleman, of A.A. A. Allen, of Jack Coe. I'm talking the God of the Hebrides revival, the God of Azusa Street, the God of George Whitfield and Charles Finney, the God of awakening. I want want you to call upon the great men and women of God's God that is birth, revival, awakening, outpourings, things that created quakes in the earth and aches in the heart of man. I appreciate anybody this morning. This is what I want. This is what our cause is. This is what we've given ourselves to. Hear me, friends. The thing about Josiah that you and I got to understand, first and foremost, what he did was he decided, like I said a couple weeks ago, he decided that he is going to exchange whispers with God in private that create wakes in the heavenlies. But you know what happens when you create wakes in the heavenlies? You create quakes in the earth. I want to exchange whispers with God in private that create wakes in the heavenlies, that create quakes in the earth. I want to exchange whispers with God in private, that create wakes in the heavenlies, that create quakes in the earth. And we begin to see him do something so radical, it's actually biblical. Where we see normalizing, socializing intimacy with God. Let it never be said that you came to take over church and you didn't meet him. Let it never be said that you came here two and a half hour service in the glory and you didn't meet him. Let it never be said the songs were really great today. Let it never be said the sermon was pretty mediocre today. It's the best Matt can do. Let it never be said that we came to this warehouse, we gave of our time, and we didn't leave here meeting with the king of glory. This is the pursuit. Why is this the pursuit? Because I don't read of any other in scripture. Can we just put to death every other mission statement for the church today, and we take on Jesus's, that it would be filled with burning people and it would be a house of prayer? I want to put it to death because I want to grow and I want to be in the glory and I want to be right with him and I want to see him rightly and I want to respond to him. Josiah responds to him. 
it says that literally some eight years into his kingdom reign, so he's what, maybe 16 at this moment? Josiah begins to do what we call today reformation. He begins to do reformation. And what does he do? What does he do? He looks, he's grown in the glory, he's doing all these things again. Doesn't have a pastor, doesn't have scripture. They haven't had a proper church service in 400 years. But he has caught the true vision of our God. So what does he do? How does he respond? What takes place in this moment? As he begins to survey his kingdom. And he looks and he sees the high places. He sees the high places that his father and Manasseh allowed to be built, allowed to stand, allowed to take place. And what are these high places? Man, they're temples for worship of other idols. They're constructions. They're statues. They're places where there's sexual immorality, debauchery, thievery, murder. You are sacrificing children. Like, it's insane what is taking place in this moment. Please read your Bibles. It's a time of great decline. And so Josiah, he goes, no, 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 this won't do. This won't do. This won't do. This will not be my kingdom. I will not inherit the mess. I will not inherit the high places. I will not inherit the kingdom that my father and my grandfather allowed to stand. So what does he do? Josiah gathers his men. He gathers an army. And what does he begin to do? He goes through all of Israel and he tears down every high place that was constructed against the God known as Yahweh. He goes into all of Israel and he levels everything. He destroys the high places. He breaks altars. He burns down false heretical churches. He destroys, let me friends, let me tell you, he eradicates this place so bad that those weird heathens there, they were worshiping the bones of dead wicked priests. He takes those and he burns them to smithereens so they cannot once again be worshiped as idols. He eradicates, he lays waste, he brings God's reckoning himself to Israel. Why? Because in his kingdom and in his place and where he is leader, nothing else will rise against and nothing else will rival his one true God, the God of David. Friends, I gotta ask you, it's 2024. We're going to commit to being a house of prayer as a church and as individuals. We're going to be a temple of prayer. We're going to be a house of prayer, right? Amen. It's who we're going to be. But what if I told you today that your high places that you've left standing are actually what's been preventing you from plummeting to the depths of God? What if I told you today that in your life, in your marriage, in your kids, in your homes, in your sexuality, in your thoughts, between your ears, friends, what if I told you the high places that you've allowed to stand are actually what has been preventing you from plummeting to the depths of God? Pastor Matt, how do you know? Let me talk to you. This is what happens. Josiah wants God in Israel. God hasn't been in Israel in 400 years, friends. 400 years. That's his place, his people, his spot on earth. He marked it for himself. Israel, 400 years without God. How long has it been since you've been intimate with God? How long has it been since God's been close to you? 
How long has it been since you've been close to God? And I would say, and I would wager, and I'd submit to you today, there's probably a way that you can prophetically look into your life and see how long it's been based upon how high the high places have gotten. Based upon how high the high places have gotten. Friends, some of us, we went through all of 2023 shouting down Pastor Matt, Pastor Adrienne, our team here going, yeah, I want to be the fire upon the earth. And all of a sudden, we went through the whole year and we found ourselves still struggling at the flip of a calendar with the same sins that we started the previous year with. You want to know why? When sins are allowed to stand, they will grow into high places. And that high place is known as a stronghold. Sins that are allowed to stand will grow into high places. Again, are you building generational blessing or generational curses? What are you building? Because what you're building now, what you're sowing now, your kids will inherit. I appreciate anybody. Your kids will inherit godliness, holiness, or debauchery and sin. What are you sowing? What are you building? What are you growing? What are you allowing to stand that maybe you and even inherited from your own family? Maybe your Manasseh grandfather allowed this to happen, so then your dad got all jacked up, your mom got all jacked up, and then you inherited, screwed up, torn up from the floor up, jacked up, sinful nature. And because you didn't see him rightly, you don't see your stronghold, your high place rightly. And it's actually been preventing you to going to proper depths with him. Pastor Matt, I want to grow so much. Friends, if you don't tear down those high places, you won't grow down. You won't grow down. See, I'm not really actually interested in a church that grows up. I want a church that grows down. Why? Why? Because God says, I'm going to tear down the high places. Why? So we can go to the low places. No, no, no. We're going to tear down the high places so we can go to the low places. We're going to tear down the high places, the lofty arguments, and we're going to go to the low humility roads, the, the waters of a rushing God. We're going to go to the depths of the well of our Jesus. But friends, you will never go to the depths of God that your heart aches and your body calls for and that you know, you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to go to the depths but you've got too many high places holding you up for you to go down. Can I assert to you today that potentially that sin that became a stronghold, do you still love? If you haven't torn down the high place, it's because you don't love the depths of God as much as you love going to those high places. Appreciate anybody? Because I'm talking waging war. Josiah, he wages war. He gets an army and he wages war on his grandfather's sin and his father's sin and he's the leader of this nation now. He will not allow that to stand. So what's he do? He wages war on entire nation's sin because he's the leader. Friends, what high places have you allowed to rise up when you became the leader of your life? When you became an adult? When you got married, when you started dating, when you got a computer, when you got a phone, when you joined the worship team, when you started serving in church, when you got a job, all of a sudden when you became a leader in whatever capacity, and Christian, let me tell you, whoever the most spiritually mature person is in a relationship in the church, that's the pastor of that relationship. (laughs) Just so you're aware. So maybe you're just two homies meeting for coffee. The person who's deeper is going to pass in the person who's weaker. That's how it should be. 
But some of us, we inherited arrogancy. We inherited conceitedness. And actually, we're offended at the depths of another person that they're willing to go with God because we got too many high places in our own life that we allow to go unacknowledged and therefore unacknowledged can never be torn down. Preaching to anybody this morning? This is the reality, friends. Josiah was like, no, sir. Not my life, not my kingdom, not my time, and not my age. Friends, what have you allowed to be built in your life that soberly I say to you, your children will inherit. The next generation will inherit. Can I pause as a church? Let me talk to you. As a church, as a Christian, what have we allowed in the modern church today to grow into a high place, to stand? What have we allowed and not preached against? Not gone to our brothers and sisters lovingly and said, hey, God is actually greater than just the consumeristic Christianity in the church that you're comfortable going to, where they don't mention sin, and when they do, they don't make you feel too bad about it. What if I told you, as ministers of the good news, you and I, we're not just called to evangelize to a dead and dying world. We're actually called to evangelize, as Paul puts it, to our brothers and sisters who have fallen back asleep. Can I challenge you real quick? I'm not saying right now that every church outside of Takeover Church is a bad place for your friends to go, but I'm going to speak to your mind real quick. Some of you have had thoughts in this room about friends of yours that were like, man, when God finally leads them away from that place, imagine who they'll be. When God finally tells them to go and they come here, imagine what their lives, their marriage, their singleness, imagine what it looked like if they were found in a presence-filled church built around him. We've all had those thoughts. Those thoughts aren't yours. That is a sign and an alarm for God for you to say, lovingly confront your brother and your sister and tell them, hey, there's more. There's more. I've tasted. I've drank. I've sat. I've worshipped. I've weeped. I've gone. I have torn down my high places. You remain in sin because you stay in a place that either affirms your sin, doesn't mention your sin, therefore you have no clue what freedom even actually looks like. But let me tell you, Jesus said a time will come when my worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. Well, guess what? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Case in point. If you're not building around a spirit and truth church, if you're not building around the spirit and truth Jesus, if you're not building around where we're equally married to the spirit of God, ran by the spirit of God, and planted in the word of God, if this is not what we're doing, friends, no wonder you have friends who don't hold you accountable, who don't ask how you are with Jesus, who don't check in on your life, but are more interested in conversations about every lesser idol we all worship. Can I lovingly tell you that? Again, let me say, for clarity's sake, I'm not saying every other church in Grand Rapids is a den of thieves. What I am saying is that we all have friends and family that we know we've got a vision of who they could be in the presence of God in a church like this, in a place built on spirit and truth. And we have been aching and praying for them. Now is the time to begin talking to them. Want to know why? Because when we stay silent, their kids are going to inherit it. We've all got friends and family who are going places, building them as a Christian, weak or strong, relationships deep or shallow and their children are going to inherit 
what you stayed silent about. This, this can't be. I know this is hard, and I know it puts you on the spot, and I know you have to be a little uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, this is a part of picking up our cross and carrying it. Why? Because we've never seen Peter, James, Paul, or any of the disciples at all not rebuke a brother lovingly and then point them and bring them to the true repentance in the true Christ, in the true spirit, to a true church. We've never seen that in scripture. It was always rebuke. It was always reproving. It was always in love because love isn't just being nice. Love is saying the difficult things so their spirit can thrive, so that their inheritance can be given to their children, so that Jesus can make good on his inheritance, you can make good on Jesus' inheritance, and your kids can actually grow up in a place that resembles Zion and not a Costco called church. If you're giving today, this is what we're about. It's not missed on me that that might be one of the most for real things I've ever said. That I have to actually evangelize to my Christian brother or sister who is drinking from a lesser table who's drinking from a lesser cup, who's visiting a lesser well, who is comfortable while remaining unholy. You know, when God said, be holy as I am holy, I don't remember an asterisk in there about comfortability. I don't remember an asterisk in there about you're going to love every second of it. The funny thing is, though, even David knew, and he got rebuked a lot, Right sons love rightly God's right correction. When God disciplines, it's love. And when we hear hard truths, it's, it's actually love. And when we're put into a place where we have to either respond to what God is saying, which is always emphatically true, it's good, it's holy, his love is better than your love. His mercy is more merciful than your mercy. His grace is more gracious than yours. His wrath is better. His judgment is better. His ideas, understanding, notions, what he's thought and how he decides to govern and lead and what he says is best for our lives is better than all of our ideas on any of those things. Why? Because he's God. And if you ever arrive at a place where you can trump his way of doing things, I will bow down and worship you. You can't. You won't. And so I'm telling you, friends, what are things that your friends and your family, their children, that next generation is going to inherit based off what you and I stay silent about? I know that's for real, and this isn't even a church growth moment. I'm not saying bring them here. I'm saying get them to a place where Jesus is everything. We've built churches around everything and everyone but him. Today is the day, friends, where we say, hey, they've fallen asleep there. I don't want you to fall back asleep. I don't want you to fall back asleep. I want to echo Paul and I want to say, awake, O sleeper. The king of glory is coming. So what does Josiah do? Well, up until this point, Josiah's been living off pure Holy Spirit guidance this whole time. <laughs> it's amazing. He's literally being blessed and moved and challenged and provoked 
by the Holy Spirit this whole time. He doesn't have the Bible. So let me tell you, he's doing this. He's leading godly. He's living even godlier. He's making God moves. He's doing big God things. It's amazing, but it's only in part. Why? Because all of a sudden he goes through and he eradicates all of the high places. He tears everything down. He brings it down to its very foundation, sweeps it out and cleans the whole thing. And what does he find when he digs up rubble? He finds the law of Moses. And all the scholars will tell you unanimously what Josiah found in the rubble buried in Israel is the book of Deuteronomy. And we just thought this was a cool like book about how to live right. No, no, no. Buried, buried in a land of great decline was the word of God. Isn't it incredible what happens to a land even if it was birthed in God when the word of God is lost? What does that sound like? This is America. (laughs) Isn't it amazing and terrifying equally what happens when something is built on, predicated in, and fashioned after God's own heart, but the word of God goes lost, discarded, and buried? Because that's what's happened there, and that's what's happening here. So what is our response going to be? I hope it's the pursuit of Josiah. So what does he do? All of a sudden, he's been leading, compelled by the Holy Spirit. In relationship with the Holy Spirit. He then receives the word of God. And what happens? He develops a great love for the word of God. And he devours the book of Deuteronomy. I and mean, he's going through it. He is getting people to come interpret. He's doing all these things. He's getting it recreated. This is literally the first copy of the book of Deuteronomy, okay? For 400 years, they haven't had this book of the law of Moses. They haven't had it. So what does he do? He calls for a prophet, but not just any prophet. He calls for a prophet. And in this time, the most notable prophet in all of Israel, do you know who it is? Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. But who does he call for? He calls for Huldah. H-U-L-D-A-H. He calls for a female. Probably because in times of great decline, men need to get their faces boxed in. In his season, in his life, in Israel's time, there was a time of great decline. Why? Because men were in great decline. In America today, we're in a time of great decline because the church has been in a time of great decline. And so what happens? He calls up his Angie, he calls up Hulda, and he says, Hulda, give it to me straight. He says, Hulda, what is God saying? And she goes, I've got the best news ever. And he's like, tell it to me. I love this God of ours. He goes, she goes, uh, yeah, he's going to bring death, destruction, chaos. And as much as you've done, it's been really good tearing down the high places. He's just kind of over Israel now, and he's going to wipe it off the planet. And Josiah's like, what? And he, she's like, did you read the end of the book? And he's like, I didn't. I haven't gotten that far yet. I got too excited. I called you. And she's like, read the end of the book, Josiah. And he reads the end. And it's the curses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's the curses. It's God's judgment, which is perfect, which is just. 
and is right because Israel has declined and responded to God, not inclining unto him, but actually declining away from him. So much of the church today, God is saying, I will bring judgment. He said in Hebrews, God's judgment starts in his own house. He did it in Israel and he's doing it today. Why? Because we have not inclined greatly to him. We've actually declined greatly away from him. Woe to us who are not willing to go to our friends and say, there's more. Woe to us who are not willing to raise our kids in a place where there's more. Woe to us who are not willing to tear down the difficult high places that we've seen and looked at for all the years of our lives that we grew up in. Woe to us who are unwilling to pull down the high places so that we can plummet to the depths of the lows of God. Woe to us. Because here's what happens. This is why spirit and truth worship matters so much. When people get all spirit, they throw out the word of God. When people get all word, they throw out the spirit of God. How do I know? West Michigan. Okay? All I have to do is say that, and you know exactly what I mean. Why? Because if God wanted you to only have his spirit, he wouldn't have given you his word. And if God only wanted you to have his word, he would have withheld his spirit. Friends, you need both. He wants to live in you, and he wants to be able to tell you about him. And so all of a sudden, what does Josiah do? This God that he's only had living in him, resting on him, motivating him, moving him. What does he do? He begins to read and learn and be told about God by God's own lips, by God's own words. And what is it doing? It's confirming everything he's done, everything he's pursued, everything he felt motivated to do in this world. He began to do. That's why we're going to raise our kids in glory. That's why we're going to raise them in the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. That's why we're going to go after Rhema and Lagos. That's why we're going to do this. Why? So they grow up filled with the Spirit of God, in love with the Word of God, and will not be indoctrinated by the Spirit of this age, and then live to abort babies and chop off body parts in the age to come. It's not a great preaching clip, but it sure is the truth. I'm not doing this to get invited to the next TPUSA podcast. I'm not saying this to motivate or move my needle. This isn't about me. I want to be like Zindeldorf. I want to preach the gospel. I want to die. I want to be forgotten. And that was Josiah. Problem is, in Josiah's pursuit, he became the greatest king of man ever. (laughs) But it wasn't because his pursuit and his ache and his ambition was to do that. It was because he loved Yahweh rightly. Worship team, you can make your way up here. It's because he loved Yahweh rightly. He refused to allow what he inherited to hinder him. In fact, when he became leader, he decided, no, I'm going to decimate. I'm going to pull down and I'm going to break everything that rose up against my God. And it was in that, it was in tearing down the high places, he could actually plummet to the depths of God for real because he wasn't just going off the Holy Spirit. Now he had the Holy Word. And now he knew what was available and he knew what needed to be done and he knew how to be consecrated and he knew that there was ways about being holy that he didn't know. And so what does he do? His first act is this. He makes Yahweh the God of Israel in legislation again. First thing. First thing, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when you get hit with the real thing, 
What do you do? You make sure in your life and in everything you have leadership over, your kids, your family, your friends, whatever, you reinstitute the God of David as God. What's he do after that? He builds the temple. He builds the temple. He laid waste to all these things. He broke them all down. He didn't build upon them. He didn't just say, I'm going to plant a church in this old satanic temple. No, he tore it all down. He spared no expense. And what did he do? He built fresh the temple of God in Israel where there had not been one for 400 years. Friends, that's what you and I are going to do today. We're going to do something that sows into building the temple of God where we're going to see him rest amongst his people. Dwell with his people. Be a place, a homing beacon for heaven saying, God, come here. If you're going to leave your throne for anything, go anywhere. Lord, we're going to build a place for you. What's his third response? Would you stand? Josiah's pursuit, his third response that led him to this. <laughs> there had not been for 400 years, not just the temple and not just the word of God, there was actually not the ways of God for 400 years in Israel. His third action leading himself in the real true vision of Yahweh as he reinstituted nationwide the Passover Seder. For 400 years there was no Passover. You know what that tells me? If you forget the God of deliverance, you'll live without reverence for God's salvation. If you forget the God of deliverance, You'll live without God's salvation being seen, activated, lived out rightly in your life. If you forget the God of deliverance, you will live without reverence for God's salvation. Now hear me. Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is the festivals. When Jesus rose again, Jesus himself and the church, they ceased with festivals, they ceased with these things, not because they're not beautiful, not because they're not awesome, and if you choose to partake in them in today's day and age, I think that's really cool. Can your boy get an invite? I would love to attend a Passover Seder. But Josiah's third response actually needs to be our third response, and that's what? Reinstituting the Passover Seder but for the risen Christ for the freshly birthed church and for the bride of said Christ what is this Passover that you and I now celebrate what is this festival that you and I now participate in what is this Passover for you and I it's the slain lamb of God named Jesus so when you make Josiah your pursuit or when you make Josiah's pursuit your pursuit, where does that lead you? It leads you to tearing down high places. It leads you to a great love of the Spirit and the Word of God. 
It leads you to depths in him have been withheld from you because of the high places you've allowed to arise in your life, in your family, in your friends, in your city, in your nation. And when you get the same pursuit Josiah has, what do you begin to do? You long to build a place for God to properly rest. For God to properly dwell. But what end? But for why? For this God of ours, Jesus, our Passover. Jesus, our Passover. So right now, what I'm going to do is this. I invite you in this moment, I'm going to pray. I invite you to write on your card what you're longing to see. Maybe you already have. I invite you to write your name on there because we want to stand with you, contend for you, intercede for you, for your prayer requests, for what you want to see God do. And then during this last song, I invite you. Adrian and I are going to go. We're going to go hard. We got told a number that's uncomfortable, sacrificial, and yet holy God, and we say yes. Because I want to live the Josiah pursuit, and I want to have the Josiah fruit. Friends, I really do not care what anybody in this room or anybody who's going to hear this podcast has to say about Matt McClure. I long to leave a legacy of inheritance that starts with God saying, this is what I thought of Matt. And I long for you to share in that with me. For you to care about what God says at the end of your life. This is what God said about Becca. This is what God said about Deanna. This is what God said about Josh. This is what God said about Hamza. This is what God said about Peter. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for the Spirit of God to fall in this room. To awaken a heart for the Josiah pursuit in all of us. That we would raise up a Josiah generation. Get ready for next week, baby. And then we're going to open up the altar and you're allowed to come, pray, pour, sow, give, sacrifice. And most importantly, look upon this Passover lamb, this Passover savior, this Passover Jesus that you and I have. Amen. So Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, right now. I thank you that you are pursuing us, God that you have made a way through our Jesus, that you have given us, and you didn't give him in spares, God. No, you poured him out. You broke him open. You gave us your best, God. And so often, Matt lives giving you his least. Hey, God, today I just say, I say I'm sorry. I say I repent. I say, God, I want to give you my best because you are worthy. God, I want to see you rightly. I want to serve you perfectly. I want to obey you entirely. I want to worship you correctly. So Father, I pray for a Josiah pursuit to raise up in this room right now. That God, all over this room, from front to back, side to side, corner to corner, families, children, single people, wherever we are, however we found ourselves, whatever we came with today, God, I pray in this moment 
that God, we would aim to build you a home. We don't want to build a sound studio. We don't want to build a production house. We're not building Christ's next content engineer. We're not building scripture aggregations. No, God, today we say, King of glory, we are building you a home. Where the God of David can rule in our land and rule in our hearts. Where the God of Yahweh would come and he would move in this city, through this nation. Where God, we would love to partake in the Passover because of what you've given us in Jesus. So Father, I pray you bless every person who gives. I pray that you draw near to them. And I pray that as we worship God, you would do something in this room, not just monetarily, but prophetically and divinely that is purely marked by let us give, let us worship, let us cry out to this God. See Him rightly today in Jesus' mighty name.